So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors Podcast. Today I am sitting down with Ryan Sean Adams. He's the founder of Mythos Capital. He's one of the outspoken proponents of Ethereum on Twitter. He likes to really put Ethereum content right out to the Bitcoiners and really kind of stir the pot. I get into why he likes to do that, what he really thinks about Bitcoin versus Ethereum, if he really thinks there's only going to be one. We talk about the differences of Ethereum, what he sees being the future, and then we get into some DeFi stuff, what's happening there um, with the different protocols. Some really good conversations, um, learned a lot. And let's just go ahead and just jump right into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I am with Ryan Sean Adams. He's the founder of Mythos Capital, and he is uh, one of the outspoken proponents of Ethereum on um, Twitter and out in the industry, and he has a lot of good things to say, so I wanna, uh, I'm excited to talk to him today. Uh, welcome, Ryan. Yeah, hey, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks. All right, great. So um, let's go ahead and just set the stage. And so for those that don't know who you are, why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of uh, what you were doing before and, and, and kind of what you're doing right now in the space? Yeah, so um, I, you know, tech entrepreneur uh, by background in trading, uh, was in the, uh, the medical um, software field for a while, um, sold the company back in, in 2013, part of the acquisition there. And um, really started getting into crypto in 2014 and that was really when I you know did the first leg down the rabbit hole if you if you will and discovered Bitcoin um, a little bit later I sort of realized that um, you know that more applications that were possible in these blockchain systems public blockchain systems you know general programmable uh, value transfer and kind of fell in love with Ethereum and decided to start Mythos in 2017. So Mythos is a, is a capital pool, um, and uh, we also provide uh, staking services to crypto networks. And I guess I'm just a, a general uh, commentator and um, writer on this space a little bit. Um, recently, my passion has been around the topic of, of Ethereum, uh, and specifically how ETH uh, is a monetary asset that, um, you know, uh, deserves a, a monetary premium and um, topics around that, you know, short form, like ETH is money. And, um, you know, I love, uh, you know, mixing it up on Twitter and, and kind of trolling Bitcoiners with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, you do seem to like to uh, stir the pot a little bit, which is good. It kind of makes it interesting for sure. Um, so, yeah, you'd recently wrote a piece uh, titled e Ethereum is Money and why it matters and uh, really going straight at the Bitcoin maximalists on that because obviously, you know, they, Bitcoin is money. Um, and, I, and so I don't know if that's what you meant with, with, with the piece titling it that. Um, but you really went into why Ethereum is money and um, kind of broke down the triple assets, uh, how, you know, different ways it's looked at, um, SOV versus uh, medium exchange, et cetera. So why don't we just jump into that a little bit? I guess, first of all, why did you choose that title? Was that just to kind of go after Bitcoin? You know, it's not so much going after Bitcoin, right? So, uh, first of all, um, I'm actually, and people, a lot of people don't know this, I'm actually like a Bitcoin bull. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I am, I'm really excited about Bitcoin. It originally got me into the crypto space. Um, I do think that 
Bitcoin uh, falls short in some areas and Ethereum kind of picks off in, in some areas where Bitcoin left off. But the reason I say like ETH is money as uh, you know, the title is that it's, it's, it's provocative. Um, and it really, it really shouldn't be. I mean, um, people in, in 2013 and in 2012 and before that, um, who said things like Bitcoin uh, is money. I mean, that was provocative uh, at the time. But the reality uh, about money, uh, whether it's fiat money or crypto-based money, is that uh, it, money is, is a meme. Um, in, in some ways, it's, it's kind of like a religion. Um, there's an underlying belief system uh, that it has value and can store value into the future. And that, you know, begets more belief in it and the network effect spreads and essentially like you can meme a money into existence. Uh, so when I say things like ETH is money, it's just sort of to, you know, you poke at that idea a little bit. Um, anything can be a money uh, if people believe it's a money and use it as a money. And ETH certainly fits that criteria uh, right now. Um, and I, I really, I think of ETH uh, as kind of a, a triple point asset. Uh, we can get into that. What, one of the legs of the, the, the you know, the, the three point stool um, is ETH being used as a money, being used as a, a store of value asset, as um, you know, collateral backing in the open finance world, as collateral backing uh, for uh, currencies like DAI, for instance, which are also used as a, as a medium of exchange and, and unit of account. So um, ETH is uh, certainly money, and we can get into that a little bit more uh, from that perspective. First as a store of value, but then through currencies like DAI, when it serves as a, as a synthetic uh, backing as a medium of exchange and unit of account um, in the future. I, I think with that, with that, I mean, it's like um, it, it certainly is being used as that today. Um, right. It is certainly being used as a store of value today where we can see what's locked up and we can certainly see that it is being used as a money today. Um, and I think like you said, like anything can be a money, but does that necessarily mean it's a good money or a, the best money or best store of value? Right. So um, is that something where you see it like maybe like evolving into that or you think it already is good? I think, I think it partially is and it's partially evolving into it in the same way that Bitcoin partially is a good store of value today and is evolving into a better store of value in the future. I mean, store of value is really like, it's, um, it's kind of like a coordination game, right? Like you, you want to store your wealth in the asset that all of the other human beings store their wealth in. And ideally, you want to be a little bit ahead of that. Uh, that way you can kind of, you know, uh, get the, uh, the appreciation of the asset and get the upside of the stored value asset. So the coordination game is trying to predict which, which asset will become a stored value. And Bitcoin has kind of mean this idea of um, you know, scarcity and uh, sound money and hard money uh, being the primary value proposition of a stored value. Um, and like, I agree with those things too. Um, it's just that uh, ETH also has those properties as well. It is a sound money. It is a hard money. It, it does have uh, scarcity enforced by social contract. Um, it just doesn't have a meme around you know, 21 million will only be produced. But if you actually look into the monetary policy of ETH, you sort of like start to uh, see an asset um, that has low issuance, you know, approaching 1% over time, that has a sustainable security um, posture in terms of its ability to pay for 
network security uh, via Newcoin issuance. Uh, and it has the same scarcity that's enforced by social contract as Bitcoin. So even from a, just a scarcity mean perspective, um, like the fundamentals are there. It's just the, um, like the idea and the meme and the propagation of that meme uh, is not fully there in the way that, that it is with Bitcoin. But I think when people start to understand these assets more, we're just at the very early stages of the general public barely understanding these assets, it will become more and more obvious that the monetary policy behind uh, Ethereum issuance is uh, just as good, maybe in some ways um, better, or at least makes different trade-offs than uh, the Bitcoin monetary policy. Yeah, the trade-offs that you, you speak of, I'm guessing more are, are back to like the inflation and then enforcing the security, which um, some of that will, will be said to be seen right in the future. Um, but I think the, the problem, I guess, is, is you're saying like the, the inflation rate is low today, but we just don't know what it will be in the future. I guess that's the main argument that Bitcoin bulls would say, right? That um, you're building on something that's unknown because we know it's going to change in the future, but we don't know what it's going to change to. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of, you know, what I would, uh, would, what I would respond to, I guess, a couple of things. So, so first, uh, when you look at Bitcoin, it's somewhat in a similar boat. So what Bitcoin has done very clever, cleverly is they've uh, fixed issuance. And so they have, uh, Bitcoin has a security, um, like it has a, uh, a happening, an issuance happening every four years or so. Uh, issuance is, is decreased uh, along kind of a curve approaching zero um, so that, you know, the, the network specifies only 21 million uh, Bitcoin will ever be produced. You can also think of that security uh, having as, or that, that issuance having is also a security having. So like um, the, the amount of Bitcoin that goes to pay for network security is cut in half every four years. So there's some real question as to whether that sort of an issuance policy is, uh, is sustainable at some stage. And we're talking in the next you know, 10 years or so. Um, like Bitcoin will have to sustain itself just by transaction fees. So like the, the question in my mind is, um, you know, is it actually possible to have fixed issuance 21 million or will Bitcoin have to make a really hard choice in the future to actually increase its issuance and fork the network? Will that be sort of a very divisive topic sometime in the next, you know, 10 years, in the next 20 years? Whereas... Ethereum, um, you know, responds with a, a more flexible issuance policy into the future. Um, and the monetary policy of, of Ethereum is pretty simple. It's minimum necessary issuance to secure the network. So uh, like, like security uh, essentially is, is guaranteed by that issuance schedule. And Ethereum won't, won't have to deal with the thorny issue of like, will we have to hard fork to maintain security? So in some ways, I guess, in summary, I think that the uh, meme around 21 million uh, that, that Bitcoin has may not actually, like, in, in fact, come to pass. That there may be a reason and a requirement to actually increase issuance in order to properly secure the Bitcoin network, and it might cause a fork at some point in the future. Yeah, so to, um, frame, to frame that out just a little bit more for everyone, if they're not totally caught up, is that um, currently uh, Bitcoin is secured by mining. And they are earning uh, their, their payment or their rewards through mining new Bitcoin, but as well as doing transactions. And eventually, um, 
the mining rewards run out and the only way to secure the network would be through transaction fees. Um, a risk would be that, let's say that everybody just hodls their Bitcoin and doesn't transact it, then there's no transaction fees and then the transaction fees aren't enough and the miners give up and then there's no security for the network. That's a potential risk that, uh, that is gonna play out and we'll have to see what happens. Um, most people think that there will be enough um, transaction activity to continue to pay the miners, um, but it may not. And so that's, that's uh, the potential risk, right? Um, well, and I, also, it, I also see like a middle ground there too, Mark, where it's, it's you know, um, it, it, there will be some security and there will be like uh, a, a lot of security paid by transaction fees, but but it could come to pass that Bitcoin is no longer the most secure network, right? Um, as you know, compared to other networks in the future. So, um, like I, 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 I probably think it's unlikely that Bitcoin security like drops to zero uh, and it becomes useless. But but it could very um, feasibly come to pass that that Bitcoin is no longer the most secure network, and, and that opens um, a slot for another network that has a different issuance policy, maybe even a, a different consensus system, um, to uh, to to jump to first place. Right, and so we don't know what the future holds, and so that could end up being bad for Bitcoin, possibly, and and with a more flexible monetary policy like Ethereum has, it could end up being right where it needs to be. Bitcoin could change its monetary policy. So there's a lot, lot, to, lot to be said about the future that we don't know. Just seems that um, the, if we look through history, like the best store of value always wins. I think you were kind of saying that before. We've seen this play out with governments in the past where some thought silver was going to be the best store of value, but they ended up losing most of their wealth because gold became the best store of value. And um, where you start to store your value right now seems like having the best um, monetary policy today would win, but I guess uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I guess the point is, you know, what actually is the best monetary policy, right? Um, maybe we don't know yet. Um, gold, for instance, has uh, been a fantastic story of value throughout history, and it has an issuance, an annual inflation of like 1.5 to 2%-ish. Um, you know, Ethereum... Uh, is is projected to have a one percent ish inflation uh, rate as well, uh, and then of course you know the issuance is is always going to be enough to secure the network. Maybe that's the winning uh, the winning ticket. I think the point is we're, we're all it's so early, like we're in the first inning of this, and so you know at some level betting on crypto is betting on which of these assets become the best store of value. And so it's really hard to kind of project into the future. We just don't know. So I always encourage like a probabilistic bet on these things uh, and discourage maximalism of one form or another, including Bitcoin maximalism. Yeah. So today we have, you know, the dollars, the reserve currency of the world, the financial system. R really, the world financial system is built in the U.S., majority of it, and it's built on the dollar. Um, but the dollar is also is, is a medium of exchange, right? But it's also a very poor store of value, which is why we see asset inflation in stocks and real estate and all these other things. Um, I mean, is it possible? Uh, do you think it's possible that maybe um, Ethereum and Bitcoin maybe have purposes of their own where cool. one could be a better store of value and one could be a better financial system or something? 
Yeah, totally. And if I were to predict these things, I, I would probably, like, at this point, I'd probably um, say that that's a, that's a very likely outcome. Um, I don't think that, that um, you know, Bitcoin kills Ethereum or Ethereum kills Bitcoin. I think what, what will happen is both of, of these networks will uh, coexist. Um, they will be competitive, as all assets are for uh, store value and, and monetary premium use cases, of course. You know, gold competes with stock, competes with real estate uh, for where uh, individuals and um, large institutions decide to store their wealth. Um, but they will have different trade-offs. Um, I could very well see a world where there's a, you know, a proof-of-work you know, winner from, from the store value category. And, you know, maybe that's, that looks like Bitcoin uh, and, and possibly a, a proof of stake category winner. Uh, and maybe that looks like Ethereum uh, and that these assets are held on the balance sheets of, of funds, major institutions, uh, and even central banks uh, at some stage. Uh, so it's really about the growth of uh, the asset class, like the non-sovereign store value asset class here. Uh, and that, that's what I'm sort of rejecting when I say things like ETH is money is that like, um, there seems to be at least this year, um, th this fad that, um, Bitcoin will be the only winner in that category. And I just don't think that's true. In the money category. Yeah. In the money category and in the non-sovereign store value category. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Again, so we know it, it, it is already being used as a store value. I mean, at least I guess you could argue that. I mean, I don't think that's probably the primary use case of most people. Uh, I mean, we're starting to see all the financial systems start to pick up Bitcoin. We don't really see them picking up Ethereum. However, we do see, what, half a billion dollars locked up in DeFi use cases, right? So I guess that's somewhat of a store value. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, I see it as uh, right now Bitcoin is leading the way. Um, with what I would call crypto banks and kind of so if you think of like, you know, the, the uh, a financial system at the, at the base layer, you have some sort of a, a money, right? A base monetary um, system that kind of everything settles into. And then a layer above, you have a, a banking system and, you know, the money in the banking system uh, are very tied together. So like, you know, central banks and, and commercial banks and institutional banks, um, very, very closely tied together. It's all part of the same system. So Bitcoin as a base money, their banking layer are these crypto banks. So uh, crypto banks being, you know, the BitMEXs and the Binances and the Coinbases of the world. And in the crypto banks uh, right now, Bitcoin um, is the primary uh, asset. So, you know, it has the most liquidity, the most trading pairs, um, even in uh, like crypto banks like, like BlockFi, there's more lending going on on Bitcoin um, than versus other assets. So it's kind of, you know, winning right now in that crypto uh, you know, centralized banking layer. Um, Ethereum, on the other hand, is really pioneering an open banking layer with these decentralized finance protocols. So... Uh, Ethereum essentially represents a kind of a, a, another vision of the world where the store value asset is, is ETH. And on top of that asset, there are these crypto protocols like um, uh, Compound and like Maker and like um, DYDX and like SET. 
Uh, and within these, these banking protocols, uh, ETH is really the primary reserve asset. The interesting thing I think about ETH is that um, it, it can also make use of all of the kind of the, you know, the crypto bank layer that, that uh, Bitcoin makes use of as well. So it is behind Bitcoin it is, you know, the, the second highest liquidity trading pair. Uh, and on, on in crypto banks like BlockFi, for instance, it's, you know, the, the second asset to get listed. So I think um, ETH has kind of two avenues uh, to uh, create liquidity and to kind of become a, uh, a money in. One is the crypto banking side where it's kind of second to Bitcoin. Uh, and the other is in this open finance uh, DeFi layer where it's kind of first place and, and kind of king right now. Yeah, some of that stuff you talk about with Bitcoin, it, um, I mean, you talked about kind of Coinbase and whatnot. I mean, those are more like on-ramps and off-ramps. And I mean, Ethereum is still subject to the same requirements of on-ramps and off-ramps, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would. And I, so I think of these exchanges as uh, certainly they're on-ramps and on off-ramps uh, for fiat. Um, but they're also more than that. They're also becoming essentially a, a banking layer. So as more and more wealth, let's say, is uploaded into crypto and like zooming out, I think that's the, that's the long term trend here is that we're going to move more and more of the world's wealth uh, into crypto. Right, right now we're at, you know, um, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, just a few years ago, we were at tens of billions of dollars. I think in a few more years, we'll be at trillions of dollars. Uh, and the wealth is going to essentially be, be uploaded uh, into crypto. But these, these crypto banks, the, the Coinbase's and the BitMEX's of the world, they'll serve as a, um, a, like a, a fiat on-ramp, certainly. But they'll also provide uh, lending services. They'll provide uh, borrowing services. Uh, they'll provide um, you know, the ability to, to long and short assets. Basically, everything that you'll be able to do with a, with a traditional bank uh, you'll be able to do with these crypto banks. Um, and like Bitcoin is really uh, essentially using uh, these centralized crypto banks as its, as its primary banking layer. Ethereum is using those banks as well. Um, but it also, because it has uh, a program, uh, programmability aspect, it's, it's also creating new kinds of banks. These are protocol-based banks uh, that are decentralized, that are inherently like programmable and composable and interoperable uh, so that you can chain these things together and, you know, create um, really interesting financial products and economies. Uh, and I think that is, that is a massive area of innovation. Uh, and that is like um, um, more interesting in some ways than just the Bitcoin plus crypto banks uh, vision of the world. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I definitely think that's interesting. I want to jump into that a little bit. I would say, though, before we jump into that, the full, full scale is that I think that part of the reason why the financial system has taken off so much is without having a hard sound money that stores value, uh, we've been forced, uh, we've been forced to become investors. And it's kind of built this whole financial system that's forcing us to be investors as opposed to just being able to store our money and be specialized. Like if I could be a brain surgeon, the best brain surgeon in the world, park my money and it just, and it just stores the value, um, then, then I don't have to become this investor. But because uh, I can't store my value in money, it forces me to become an investor. So 
maybe if we had, and these, these are all big maybes, but maybe if we did have a good store of value, we wouldn't have this giant financial world that we have today. Um, yeah, do you think there's I, any truth to that? I, I think there's some truth to that, right? I mean, if you look at where people store their, val their, their value, I mean, they don't store it long-term in, in US dollars, right? Um, they'll, they'll store it in, in treasuries, and they'll store it in, um, in stocks and bonds, real estate. Um, and that is because, um, you know, and, and just in some respects, uh, in, in assets like gold. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think but the idea they put it, they put it in their 401k or their mutual fund or whatever. And then they go into these, all these different types of financial products and, and, and things yeah, that they have just, in the market. I don't know that that's going to change all that much. Right. So like the, the idea, like the, somewhat of a fantasy of hyper Bitcoinization says, all of that store of value, rather than storing it in those other assets, now, because we have this new thing called Bitcoin, you can just store it in Bitcoin. Um, but, but that's also not diversified, right? Like, what, what if something happens to uh, the Bitcoin network? Um, like, what, like, I mean, what if, um, for example, um, like, uh, governments, global governments make Bitcoin illegal and they choose to adopt, you know, another crypto asset? Um, like Bitcoin has a ton of uh, systemic risk as other asset classes do. So I just don't think we'll, we'll go into kind of a, a mono store value uh, world. Um, I think like wealth will continue to be diversified across multiple uh, stores of value. Now, I do think that assets, non-sovereign stores of value like, like ETH and like Bitcoin can certainly um, chip into um, assets like gold. Uh, but I, I'm kind of skeptical that they'll ever kind of consume all of that um, historic value use case. Yeah, I think, well, I, I mean, I, I would agree with you and it would be irresponsible for anybody to park all their wealth into one asset. And if we go back all the way to, you know, biblical times, I mean, people were still storing their wealth in livestock and land and, and whatnot. So um, yeah. I think, but I think there is a difference of like <clears throat> real wealth, you know, assets versus just, crazy risky financial assets but um getting into the DeFi space which i am super uh interested in um it's all been growing on ethereum um and i'm guessing that's because of the program uh the ability to be you know have programmable money is, is that why it's all growing on ethereum yeah that i mean that is the the use case you can you can basically i mean like a smart contract um you know in some ways it's a it's a just a programmable escrow um, like agreement, right? Um, so, but, but Bitcoin uh, doesn't have those capabilities on the base layer. Um, very basic uh, smart contracts, I suppose, are possible. Things like multi-sigs on Bitcoin, you could call that a smart contract. But with Ethereum, um, you, can, you can put a lot more logic uh, into, um, into these smart contracts. And they essentially, like you have the ability to program value and, and you know, create if then statements um, for uh, for various protocols. Right now, the the Hello World app, like the the starter uh, program, has definitely been collateralized loans. That's really taken off. Um, there's something like 500 million in um, collateralized loans on the Ethereum platform right now, uh, and that's super cool. But I think that's that's really just to start. Eventually. What's going to happen is all of the, the financial verbs, all of the things you want to do with value and with assets and with money, 
things like saving, things like investing, uh, things like you know, spending, things like uh, borrowing or longing and shorting, all of those verbs will essentially be protocols on top of uh, the Ethereum platform. And you'll be able to do those um, in, a, uh, in a more decentralized uh, protocol driven way rather than going to uh, a centralized uh, banking service that handles it all for you. So that's really the potential. Right. So that's, those are the financial pieces. Um, so you talk about like long and shorting. Well, first you said that like the, the primary use case right now is, is the lending market, borrowing and, lo- borrowing and lending. Um, but isn't the borrowing and lending really being done by the investors who are longing and shorting and, and hedging? Yeah, I think that's, that's happening to a large degree now. And that's natural for like these markets to emerge. Um, I mean, people criticize, people outside of crypto, they often criticize crypto in general. And they just say, you know, it's, it's, it's all speculative, right? Um, it's just people kind of, uh, you know. Gambling. It is. <laughs> that's, the, that's the evolution. That's how we start, right? Exactly. So I, I completely agree. It, it is uh, in large part uh, speculative, but it's becoming less so over time. You know, um, assets like Bitcoin are becoming less volatile over time. So it's natural that these crypto banks would start with that kind of a use case. You know, even, even a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of criticism on uh, like ICOs, uh, for instance, and kind of all of the scams that popped up and all of the, the poor investments um, that um, like essentially uh, were available. But when you look at the primitive of permissionless fundraising um, around something like a decentralized autonomous organization, that is an incredible primitive. Like that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, and yeah, in the, you know, in the initial round, it didn't have adequate investor protection and it skirted um, regulation and there were all sorts of problems with it. But the primitive itself and the ability to issue a token and uh, fundraise on the Ethereum platform, um, if it was tweaked you know, properly and it had those same protections, um, it could be incredibly powerful for uh, global finance. So th- those are the types of opportunities that I think are available on, uh, on Ethereum and like available when you have a uh, money platform that also has uh, like this programmable banking layer. Yeah. So if we look at, if we look at the, the, I guess the, there's like three main purposes of a, of a bank, right? One would be storage, two settlement, three loans, right? So I guess all three of those could really be taken care of. I mean, with crypto and Bitcoin or Ethereum, I suppose, right? Storage obviously goes out. We have the ability to transact on our own. That's settlement. And now with the, with the lending market, kind of gotten rid of that. So now it's really going, about, uh, going after the larger financial system overall. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and a fourth, a fourth might be uh, investing as well. Kind of you know, banks help you invest and help raise funds in the form of investment banks. And I think that that is also accomplished uh, by Ethereum. You know, there's a re- really interesting protocol um, called the SET protocol, for instance, yep. which is essentially a, um, a, a protocol that uh, kind of does algorithmic or, or robo investing for you. So you, you could just put, they have a moving average um, set where it's, it's, it's almost like a uh, smart contract ETF and you can put ETH in it. And when ETH um, rises above a per certain percentage from a you know, 20 day moving average perspective, um, it will buy more ETH. Uh, and if it drops below, it will sell that ETH in exchange for a stable coin. 
Um, and over time, that has you know, historically shown to outperform just straight holding ETH. And that's all done programmatically through kind of like a smart money robot. I mean, that kind of innovation has the potential to replace mutual funds and index funds uh, wholesale. Um, it, so like, like all of these, like all of these things will be possible, I think on top of, um, like, you know, this, this programmable banking platform and on top of Ethereum over time. And what it's going to do is software is just going to eat finance and it's going to eat money as it's eaten other industries. Uh, and I think, you know, if we, if we look five to 10 years out, um, you know, all of, all of that will become obvious in retrospect. Yeah. Um, what about what? I mean, I don't know if you care to get into this, but um, ab about the regulation. So we've seen technology eat everything, as you say, right? So you talked about software, but really technology, right? I mean, we can see uh, the digital cameras took out Kodak or whatever, right? And, and it's been happening since the Industrial Revolution. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever come up against something that's so big that has so many like incumbents that are going to that are really going to resist. So, I mean, uh, obviously taking on money, which is a government's function, taking on Wall Street. Um, I mean, do you think it's, it's something that could severely limit um, this new technology's growth? Or do you think um, it's a war that they just can't win? Eventually, they're just going to lose that war. I think it's the latter. I think what, what will happen is that at various points in the life cycle, and when we think about life cycle, I mean, we're talking about like decades long life cycle crypto, it's gonna, like the internet, going to take to kind of impact society and, and uh, eat these industries. And at various junctions, um, you know, central banks uh, will put up blockers uh, for various reasons. Um, you know, commercial banks uh, will, will put up blockers to protect their interests as you know, media companies have done to you know, protect against uh, social networks in the past and as other incumbents have, have kind of done in the past. But um, the reason that won't be successful long-term is um, because I kind of believe in, in you know, the game theory of this. Uh, and that is if, if one of the incumbents, uh, whether it's a, a nation state or a commercial bank, kind of breaks rank and actually starts to adopt this technology, uh, they will receive a, a like a large competitive advantage and essentially be rewarded uh, for doing that. Um, so unless they can kind of all collude together and and stop this and kind of crush it, uh, it, it only takes one or two of them to kind of break rank uh, and receive a, a competitive advantage for all of the rest to just need to follow from a from a game theoretic perspective. That's why I think over the long run, um, you know, they can't stop it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, at, at least, at least with Bitcoin, I mean, I, I, I look at it as like the, the U S financial system has already spent a lot of money, potentially billions of dollars to adopt it for everyone from Goldman Sachs to E-Trade to, to TD Ameritrade, et cetera. And we know they're like the largest lobbyists in, in government. So I can't imagine they're going to let that just go to zero now. So yeah, it's already happening. And, uh, you know, I think Wall Street is going to discover kind of you know, tokenization of assets, for instance. Uh, and there's going to be a gold rush for that at some point. Um, so like, you know, once, once Wall Street, once Wall Street and once even central banks kind of start using this this stuff um like then the horses the horse is out and um you, you can't 
you can't stop it at that point. So um, where do you see DeFi going in the near term, let's say the next 12 months, and then maybe where do you see it like in the long term, like five years or 10 years out? You know, what's super interesting is um, it, I find it easier to predict 10 years out than 12 months <laughs> for some reason. Okay. Uh, you know, like I, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. So like, you know, t- 10 years out, I think we'll have uh, trillions of dollars uh, tokenized on top of um, likely Ethereum, but, um, but it could be uh, other smart contract platform as well. Um, I think we'll have all of the primitives that we've talked about, you know, um, I think, uh, user experience and uh, will be significantly improved so that average uh, retail users can quite easily manage their keys and open smart contract wallets. I think all of that is coming. But in the, in the next 12 months, it's really difficult to predict what will be um, the, um, you know, the new applications. Um, for instance, I was actually surprised uh, by the rise of Uniswap. So Uniswap, uh, for, for your listeners, is a decentralized exchange on Ethereum. It, um, it launched in, I want to say, November or December of last year. And it, it's just basically a, a smart contract pool that allows you to exchange various um, ERC-20 and uh, ETH-based assets. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not an order book type model, so it's not like a Coinbase, it's not even like a um, a zero X decentralized uh, exchange. Uh, essentially, all of the liquidity is put in one place, and uh, liquidity providers, you know, earn um, you know, based on uh, the the amount of uh, volume that goes through the platform. So it kind of pools this liquidity, and an algorithm essentially determines uh, the price of each trade. So um, I was shocked at the growth of uh, Uniswap. Um, I mean, it, it quickly grew into the, the millions and then the, the tens of millions in terms of uh, how many assets were put in this pool. Uh, and it kind of came out of nowhere. It was like basically developed by a you know, single person. It was his first application that he'd ever created, like not Ethereum application, but like application in general. Uh, and the protocol mechanism just really clicked. So I, I would say that 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 I mean, it fit a really big market need. I mean, the, the market needs a, de, a decentralized exchange really bad. And I think it's been searching. So, yeah, I mean, totally. he, he hit a he hit a he hit a good spot for sure. Yeah. So so I, I, I think it's um, it's tough to predict what's going to hit like critical market fit. Um, I, I was just curious, like if you think about like we talked, we both talked about like the evolution of the space, which I mean, in the beginning, it's it's speculators, I, I believe we're still kind of in that collectible speculator stage, you know, I don't think we're at the store value stage yet. So you look around and like, okay, well, what are the what are speculators doing? Obviously, that's why the lending and borrowing markets have taken off. Um, so I would think it's maybe something spinning off of that, right? Like more type of investment products or, or banking products. Yeah. One thing that could pop, I mean, people have talked about NFTs for a while. Those are like, you know, collectibles. That's kind of in the background. Something could pop around that. But one that seems more uh, near term to me is um, uh, basically money markets. Yeah. Um, just accounts. So particularly the ability to put a stable coin like DAI or like USDC inside of a uh, protocol like Compound and receive, you know, uh, single digit, potentially double digit interest yield. Um, that's super interesting. Um, you know, and that's less of a speculative uh, use case. Like we're kind of like 
you know, moving, moving up that ladder of uh, like fewer and fewer speculative use cases. And it's more of kind of a saving and a money market use case, but it's, it's something uh, retail consumers can understand. And um, I think that could be uh, pretty massive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Well, um, we've talked a lot about, about a lot of things. I think we can uh, probably start wrapping it up here. Um, I think, uh, I did have some other questions, but we'll, we'll dive into those at another time. Um, cause uh, we've kind of gone over the time here, but, but really good stuff. I, uh, I love your perspective on it. I'm curious. Uh, you said you started out as a Bitcoin bull. Um, do you still own both? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still, I'm still a Bitcoin bull. I mean, like, so if I were to kind of summarize it, right. Um, I see platforms like Libra. Uh, and what Libra is doing is it's, uh, it's essentially um, creating a closed money uh, and a closed banking system. Um, and that's not very interesting to me at all. We already have PayPal. And then I see projects like Bitcoin, and that's creating an open money, which is super interesting. But, but it's creating an open money uh, and still a closed banking system. So it's you know, scaling through the BitMEXs and Binances of the world. Um, Ethereum to me is like this third possibility where it's creating an open money and also an open banking system. And I think in the long run, that combination is going to be far more impactful uh, than like the combination of just open money, but both are needed. So I, I really like Bitcoin. I, I think it is, um, it is an open money protocol for sure. Um, I think it will be very successful. Um, but my heart is really in. Uh, Ethereum, um, because it's it's both an open money and it's an open banking platform. And like the why for this, uh, for me, is is uh, so that individuals uh, can essentially be their own banks. We're we're giving we're giving money back to the individuals. We're separating that from the state, and we're uh, essentially separating banks from from state control too. Uh, and to me, that's the full soft, self-sovereign individual picture. Uh, we need both. If we yeah. don't have both, my worry is that um, Bitcoin, essentially, maybe it becomes a, a sound money, um, but essentially it will be um, captured again by, by commercial banks and eventually by central banks. Uh, and we won't get everything that uh, we signed up for in this crypto revolution. Yeah, good call. All right. Well, that's a great point. Um, I love the self-sovereign piece of it. And so let's end it with that because that was a good, that was a good statement. So uh, Sean, uh, Ryan, Sean, thanks so much for joining today. It was, it was great having you. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.